Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this Advocate Session episode of the Aquademia Podcast, where we take 10-ish minutes with the Responsible Seafood Advocate. I'm joined, as always, by the editor of The Advocate, Jamie Wright. How's it going, Jamie? Doing great, Sean. How you doing? I'm good. Short week this week, you know, getting it done. Love short weeks. Yeah, but uh, we got some stuff coming up in The Advocate, so let's jump right into it. What is up there now that people can get excited about? Well, uh, this week we have a really nice in-depth feature about what might be one of the coolest offshore aquaculture companies operating today, uh, Forever Oceans. Mm-hmm. For, so for those who might need you know, a little background, offshore aquaculture is somewhat loosely defined, I guess, as far as what is offshore and what is nearshore. So just using U.S. definitions, uh, partly because U.S. Uh, ocean zoning regulations are a model that many other countries have either copied or borrowed from. Um, offshore for, you know, our purposes, like is federal waters. So, you know, in the U S state regulator, state regulated waters extend three miles from shore and then federal waters take it from that mark to 200 miles offshore. That's that, that area, that area is called the EEZ or the exclusive economic zone. And the EEZ dates back to the 1970s. This whole concept is widely adopted around the world. Um, so, uh, you know, on top of that, I'd say offshore, Aquaculture today, from the projects I know about, is about 5 to 15 miles offshore. So distance from shore is just one key measurement. The more important ones are the depth of the water and the speed of the currents. Mm -hmm. And Forever Oceans is uh, raising Kanpachi off the the Pacific coast of Panama Mm -hmm. in Central America. So Kanpachi is a cereola uh, fish species. Uh, It's a yellowtail species that's considered sashimi grade. Um, I've personally had the Pleasure to sample it about three to four times already this year. Um, in Bergen, Norway, they served some there. I had some in Boston and now uh, just London last week at the Blue Food Innovation Summit. Uh, their CEO was there to present. Um, personally, I think the less you do to a fish like this, the better. You know, the texture is already velvety and rock I can't, warm. I can't say I've ever had it. So. Yeah, it uh, it's, it's really, really, really good. So if this company, um, Forever Oceans, they have some ambitious plans. And our contributor, Hank, Ho- Hank Hogan, spoke to the new CEO of the company, Bill Bean, who you know I met a few months ago. If you want all the fishy details about for Forever Oceans and see some truly stunning photos of aquaculture mm. using cutting-edge technology, you go to globalseafood.org, hit the uh, Advocate Magazine link at the top. It's the lead story. Yeah, I, I can definitely back you up on that. Great story. Amazing photos. All right. Something's coming up next week that's going to be kind of cool. Yeah, always. We always have cool stuff, Sean. Well, but, yeah, uh, it's yeah. the advocate. <laughs> Duh. So, all right. So, um, you know, next week we'll have a new entry from a longtime editorial colleague of mine, Jason Holland, um, who I got to check in with personally in London last week. So, so Yeah, was, you got to spend some time with uh, some of your writers that I you don't did. normally get to see in person. It was awesome. Uh, you know, Jason, I'm no, we go way back. Um, Jason digs into the recently published Illuminating Hidden Harvests report, for short. Uh, from the FAO, or the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. It was a really uh, lengthy report, which Jason always appreciates when, <laughs> I, when I send those his way. But he, you know, he digs into the findings, includes some comments from Manuel Barange, uh, FAO's Director of Fisheries and Aquaculture, who spoke at Seafood Expo Barcelona, which he attended uh, several weeks ago. So this is from a quote from Manuel Barange. 
He said one of the most tragic statistics we have is the number of undernourished people in the world has climbed to up to 800 million people. This is an insult to our intelligence. It's an insult to ourselves, and we need to find a solution for it, he said. So, but, you know, in his view, and I agree, it's not just about protein. You know, seafood has a lot more to offer than that. Uh, he continued, um, if you look at the micronutrient compositions of sardines and mussels compared with chicken and beef, it's remarkable. Mm-hmm. It's not just about the volume of food, he said. It's also about how we improve the nutritional condition of our population. So in short, seafood offers a lot more than just lean protein alternative. It's got vitamins, minerals. It's got a lot of things that uh, some land-based proteins just don't have. It's mm-hmm. obviously the omega-3 fatty acids, which is a huge advantage. You know, blue foods, which is like a kind of dangerous, it could be a buzzword, I guess, you know, Uh, but they do provide, you know, proteins, uh, all those things, nutrients, fatty acids, but they improve food production overall. Um, So a lot of discussion last week at that summit was uh, about seaweed, but as a biostimulant, have you, you're familiar Mm -hmm. with that? I don't know. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a new concept for me a little bit I'm trying to think back to the, to the secret culture conference we went to, to see if we were trying to remember if that word ever came up. I think I think it did. And uh, so farms or, or wild seaweed can be used to regenerate soil that has been stripped of its nutrients and is, and is essentially dead. It's a new discussion topic for me, and we'll be, we'll be digging into that before long. But, you know, we've known that certain seaweeds already, you know, like asparagopsis, you know, when they're incorporated into feed for cattle, it's been shown to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions from their burps. Any proof of versatility is a strength there for a practice, you know, seaweed farming mm-hmm. that's in one respect, it's, you know, it's hundreds of years old, but, you know, in another sense, it's as an industry, it's in its infancy. So we'll be following that. Very cool. Well, let's hop in the Wayback Machine, fire it up, and let's let's take off. Four years ago. Okay. We're going back four years. And of course, we're, going, we're not talking about our team yet, but we're going to talk. <laughs> we're going to talk. <laughs> but you said it. I said get, it. Get that SEO in there. I said it. <laughs> um, but uh, we're going to talk about circular economy stuff. I mean, we, but you know, normally when we bring this up, we talk about uh, fertilizer or mm-hmm. uh, maybe into another feedstuff type of product. But four years ago, we, we, uh, we wrote a story about how some farms were using renewable energy to power their farms. And uh, what about even using aquaculture waste for energy itself? So, um, you know, the story that I'm in the, in the show notes, jet setting, turning aquaculture wastewater into aviation fuel. Uh, we ran that four years ago. It's it about a project in the UAE, the United Arab Emirates. Um, they applied the concept of producing biofuel for aviation, but instead of crops, you know, like corn, they're using aquaculture waste. Um, as a proof of concept, the fuel they produced, it was blended with a regular jet fuel uh, for an Etihad Airways flight from Abu Dhabi to Amsterdam in January of that year. So this project is called the Seawater uh, Energy and Agriculture System, S-E-A-S. Real, real unique. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> It was launched at, in, at Khalifa University. This, it, was, it was launched in 2016 as a pilot project. Uh, so seawater from the Persian Gulf Pilot is added project, to... Pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist. <laughs> no, you didn't, read that. Didn't, I didn't see that coming. It's good. <laughs> so seawater from the Persian Gulf was added to these open-air ponds, right? And fish and shrimp were grown to market size. The effluent flows into this halophyte farm where it was used to irrigate salicornia. It's a like a, a salt-tolerant plant, also known as uh, sea asparagus. Okay. <laughs> so excess water was then filtered through these 
mangrove wetlands to further clean it before recirculating into the fish ponds. And our, our friend, Kevin Fitzsimmons, uh, aquaculture scientist at University of Arizona, and he was also a team leader for the Myanmar Sustainable Aquaculture Program. He said that the environmental impact here is minimal because you end up consumptively using the water after circulating it two or three times, and there's nothing going back to the ocean as effluent. So right. really, really interesting story. So that, that, the link to that's in the, sh- in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. Super fun. So really excited. Make sure that you check out all of these links. And um, if you're hearing this after this next upcoming Monday, then that Hidden Harvest Report article will also be available for you. So um, thank you so much, Jamie. And thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in with us for this Advocate Session episode. And we'll talk to you next time. Yeah.